Twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are. Up above the world so high, like a diamond in the sky. Twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are. What's her name? Her name is Anna. Anna. All right, so that was for Anna. So there was a couple of reasons I went with that song. One, obviously, she's very close to my heart. She's my daughter, you know. But I also realized when you asked me about singing a song, I don't know the words to a lot of songs, right? Most of us don't. But we make up the words sometimes. Exactly. I'm pretty sure that's what the the lyrics were. I know. Yeah. So you have to look it up. Well, No, not this one. No, you knew this one. This is the only one I can tell you. you I can sing, like, you know. I would bet that I'm 99 years old. I don't remember my own name. I'm still going to remember the words to that song. So, well, Josh, welcome to the show. It's good to have you here. We haven't had any. Uh, we haven't had a conversation about cutting concrete. We haven't. I, I haven't come seen up. one. No, yeah. it's, it's it's come up in concrete trades that have been on the show, but not to this extent that we're going to get into it. Where I want to I want to dive right deep into it and just figure out the core and the cutting everything the whole biz and figure it out. Uh, let me share the deets here. I got Josh Writers from High Tech Concrete Cutting. Find them on their website at hightechcutting.ca and their phone number is 647-335-6511. And then his email is josh at hightechcutting.ca and find them on social media, IG at High Tech Con- Concrete Cutting. And then on Facebook, it's under uh, High Hyphenated Tech Concrete Cutting. And then also on LinkedIn, it's High Hyphenated Tech Concrete Cutting. Uh, quick shout out to uh, Greg and Justin uh, from Generation Contracting. That's the tee that I'm wearing today. Unleash your voice on the Construction Life podcast community. Are you passionate about the world of construction, trades, and all things building related? The Construction Life podcast wants to hear from you. Leave us a review, share your thoughts, insights, and experiences on your favorite podcast channel. Your review fuels our mission to create engaging and informative content for the construction community. Your feedback is the mortar that holds our podcast together. Share your thoughts, rate us, and let the construction community know why The Construction Life is your go-to podcast. Visit our website and check out the nearly 500 tradespeople and construction professionals listed on the site. Connect with all of them. Check us out at www.theconstructionlife.com for additional content, behind-the-scenes exclusives, and valuable resources. Dive deeper into the construction world with articles, guest profiles, and more. Follow us on Instagram at tcl underscore the construction life follow us on tiktok under the same handle and tweet us at tcl construction subscribe to our youtube channel check out our link tree and find exclusive discounts for listeners link is in the ig bio join the conversation on facebook the construction life community and thank you very much for the little swag bag that you got you'd like a a little a little ensemble there you got a t-shirt a coffee mug a pen and a camel hat you got a bunch of stuff there and a new car (laughs) (laughs) a new pickup truck no 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 no. thank you very much for those and the right size too which is great i guessed right we were uh we're we're very rich with swag considering it was just christmas so construction loves swag Mm -hmm. they do love swag because we're always wrecking them they're always getting dirty and we're always on the job site and we want durable swag that can survive and we throw it into the wash and it get clean and then we can use it again and but swag doesn't really last all that long in construction eh nope maybe a year maybe two yeah, I mean, I, I sit in a desk in a nice office, so it lasts me a little bit longer. But yeah, our guys go through probably five, six t-shirts a year. So how long you been with high tech? So I'm coming up on 18 months with high tech. Okay. Now. Yeah. All right. So um, what were you in before? 
That's kind of an interesting one. I, okay. I used to be an employee benefits consultant for a very large consulting firm here in Canada. Okay. All yeah. right. Fourth largest insurance brokerage in the world is where I used to work. So, And what made you want to get into this business? So it, it's more getting back into this business. So ah. as a kid growing up, I, uh, I grew up around construction. Grew up with a single mom. She worked in the construction business. Soon as I was old enough to stand at a machine, she put me in the back shop of a fire protection company, and I was threading pipe and bending eye bolts and so doing all that. Five six stuff. years old. What's that? About five six years. No, old. No, she let me go till I was about fifteen. <laughs> 15 I could ride the bus to work after old. school. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So did that for a long time, and then yeah, it's getting a little bit. It's the only job I had had by the time I turned twenty one, and um, a friend of mine's dad ran a rather large construction or a concrete cutting company in those days, and so. Just for a change, it paid a couple bucks more an hour than Thread and Pipe did. So I went over and I was a helper for concrete cutting. And then I did that for... Geez, a laborer. Labor. What, yeah. what, what were your duties at that time? So we're a little bit... The concrete cutting trade is a little bit different. But very much I was just an apprentice. You're learning how to get on the tools, but you're doing it, you know, with a dolly in your hand doing removal. Yeah. Yeah. I so, you know, we'd go in and we'd cut and remove a trench... A lot of the cutting would be done by the operator. A lot of the removal would be done by the helper, right? Yeah. So that was kind of how I got my start, running around, pulling trenches all over the place. And then gradually as time picks up, you start to learn a little, do a little bit more. The guy gets that you're working with gets a little bit more comfortable and maybe he shows you how to, you know, set up and do one wall saw cut or he lets you run the drill for a little while or he lets you run it behind the, the slab saw for a bit. So... After about three years, I was a pretty proficient driller, mainly doing a lot of helping, but I could drill holes on my own, so they'd send me out here and there. I want people who are not familiar with concrete to understand, when you say drilling, Mm -hmm. we're not talking about a little pilot hole. No, it's not a Makita (laughs) that's got a a, a, a rechargeable battery on it. We're talking machines that almost belong in video games, like serious core drilling. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So the piece of equipment we're using... Um, is a fairly big, I, the guys at the shop will kill me cause I don't know any of the no, stats no, 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 on no. it, yeah, yeah. but I mean, that's all the drill itself probably weighs about 65, 70 pounds with the stand. So to go up and carry that thing up, you know, 30 floors and drill a hole on each floor. It's not exactly the same as carrying that Makita and drilling some deck holes. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's a big deal. I wanted to ask you, Josh, what was the first big concrete lesson you learned at that age getting into that business? Yeah, that's kind of a funny question. So my first day on the job, I was doing a removal. So me and another, you know, 19, 20-year-old guy were sent out in a pickup truck with two dollies. And basically, this used to happen all the time, is, hey, we've got, I don't know, 400 pieces of concrete in that basement. Your day is to get that 400 pieces of concrete out of the basement. When you're done, you can come home. So if it's eight hours, if it's 14 hours, that was your day, That's right? That's your day. No problem. It was great. You know, being an eager guy, first day on the job, I'm like, you know, I'm going to really kick some ass out here today. And rather than slowly taking a piece of concrete up the stairs with a dolly, I'm like, this thing weighs 60 pounds. I can pick it up. And so as I'm carrying it up the stairs, I slip on concrete slurry because we use a lot of water to cut concrete. Yeah. And then the water and the slur- the water and the dust mix together. It makes slurry, which is quite slippery on a smooth concrete floor or stairs. Yeah. So I think I was on my third piece carrying this piece of concrete up the stairs and I slipped, dropped it, 
shattered my thumb. At one point, the tip of my thumb was in nine different pieces, the doctor uh, told me. Okay. So I'm sitting there, it's spraying blood, and I'm like, eh. Sight Super comes over. He goes, what happened? I'm like, nothing. Because I'm, you know, yeah. I'm 19, I'm embarrassed, yeah. I'm, I'm of afraid, course. I don't know what's going to happen. Of course. So I ended up spending that first day at uh, Toronto East General Hospital. That's yeah. your first le lesson. <laughs> yeah. No need to rush in this business. No. It'll right? get done. It'll get done. It'll get done in a timely fashion, and everybody will be safe at that point. Exactly. Yeah, okay. Exactly. All right. Well, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. We've all been there, not to that extreme, but other extremes. But, yeah, we learned those hard lessons that way. It's funny because I still work with a lot of guys I worked with back in those days. We're a small industry in concrete cutting, so I know a lot of the guys, and a lot of the guys we still work with still give me a hard time about I remember your first day. <laughs> yeah, me too, buddy. <laughs> Man, did it take a while to heal? Probably took a little mm, while. No, not too bad. A fair while. I mean, it's funny because I was probably 20, 20 years ago now, and my nail still cuts weird yeah. on that thumb. Yeah. Like you can tell exactly where it split because every time I'm trimming my nails, they break exactly at the same spot every day. So it was a couple weeks I was, you know, with my thumb out like I was hitchhiking all the time. But, yeah. yeah, it was good. So you did that from 21 to how far? Gee, I guess 23, 24. Okay. Whenever it was, I finished university. Okay. So, oh, so you're doing this work while you're studying at university. In the summers, and I had two days off a week. So how many concrete smudges did you have on your paperwork at school? And oh, I didn't, do any, I didn't do any schoolwork, <laughs> so I didn't have to worry about that. <laughs> So you got out of university, all yeah. right. Finished what, were you, what were you majoring in the university? History. When I first went to school, I thought I'd be a, I'd want to be a history teacher. Okay. And so that was kind of the path I pursued. And I realized very quickly when I got to school that everybody was there to be a history teacher and that there was probably other avenues to go down to find a job. And I also realized I don't think I have the patience to be a, uh, a teacher. A I'm, I, that's uh, not me as a person, right? Okay. I just don't have the patience for it. Okay. And it was one of those things that, when you're making that decision at 18, you go, that's a good job. You get summers off, you get paid, you get that, you get this. And then you kind of get a little bit more experience in the world, a little bit more understanding about the, how things work. And you go, I don't know that I want that job. It's nice that you get all of these things and the, you know, you hear the good, but then you don't hear the bad, right? Like I couldn't imagine being a teacher now and, you know, talking to some of the sad stories that you hear from kids or, or but whatever. Are right? you not supposed to be at that age? asking those questions like wondering okay maybe this isn't for me 100 percent, i right? would think so yeah anyways, most right? people should be doing that yeah yeah okay so yeah. You, you 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 called it out you looked at it Just, and then where'd you take off from there so at that point when i finished school i like i say i was pretty proficient little driller i thought i could maybe you know continue my career in concrete cutting so i went to my boss at the time and i said like listen i'm done school enough of this two days a week stuff can i get a truck start working here full-time as a full-time career. Put me in the union. Cause you know, as a student, you don't necessarily have to be in the union, yada, yada. So I said, you know, give me a truck. I want to be in the union. And you know, the, my boss at the time was kind of looking at me crooked. Cause I was one of the few guys that ever had a university degree that was asking to be a concrete cutter. You, you know, usually that's not those two things. The other way around. Yeah. Usually it's the, it's the other way around. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I said that and he went, why the hell do you want to do this? And I said, I don't know what else I'm going to do, man. And like, I'm doing it now anyways. I might as well get paid well, you more liked money it and too, have some right? benefits. And I did like it. I liked the variety, right? You were constantly doing something different every day. You were, for the most part, going to different places every day. Concrete cutting, by and large, is a service-based business. 
But it's also a specialty service-based business. Correct. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So I often tell people, like, when I'm explaining to friends and family about concrete cutting, and they say, well, like, what is that? Is it prevalent? Or they're asking the question. And my answer is usually there isn't a job site in Ontario that has not had a concrete cutter visit it at least once. Might not be our company, but somebody, somebody. is showing up there to drill a hole or cut a trench yep. or cut a window or yep. expand a doorway, you name it, right? Cut an elevator opening, all the various things. Yeah. So, I, yeah, at that time I'd asked my boss, I said, you know, that's what I wanted to do. And he said, no. He, was he like, said, no. He goes, you just graduated university. You shouldn't be doing that. And I said, well, I don't know. You got a better idea, Steve, more or less. And then he said, give me a couple days. And then he came back to me and said, you know, we've been looking for somebody in our dispatch office to kind of start maybe doing more management side of things, getting the guys scheduled every day, making sure that the equipment that they need is there, making sure that, you know, our schedule runs properly, doing a little bit of estimating, a little bit of yeah, sales. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so I said, sure. The benefit that he offered to me was it's a salaried position. There's no more working hours. I was like, okay. And I realized, you know, as a, as a, as a summer student, you're working a lot because we got lots of work. January's were never good for me because there's not a lot of work out there. So I kind of thought- it's hard you know, work, hard environments. 100%. There's not, well, for the most part, there's no heat on site for the most part. For the most part. Yeah. I was, I, one time I was out on the top of the 15th floor. I'm ready. I'm getting chills. As cutting a, yeah. cutting a wire saw on a roof slab mm. in the middle of winter to the point where we couldn't turn the water off because mm. if we had turned the water off, It'll the hose freeze. would freeze. Yeah. So you just, it was kind of a funny day because you're on this roof and there's just water pouring out. And as you're walking around, it's getting icier and icier because you can't shut the water off. That wouldn't fly in today's day and age because, uh. Safety has come a long way in the last 20 years, I'll say. And you couldn't tap into hot water. No. No, it, it wasn't set the up. Same way. Yeah, exactly. Now somebody would just have you salt it all to make sure it didn't turn into a sheet of ice, right? Yeah, yeah, but. yeah, yeah. So that was the... Okay, so now you're doing the management side. Yeah, so Sales I... Sales side and organization, okay. Absolutely. So I worked in the office. Uh, at the time, there was three of us in the dispatch office and uh, six or seven sales guys. So I was doing dispatch for a while, loved it, thought it was a great job. I started to find myself uh, getting antsy sitting in my desk every day. You want to be on site. I wanted to be on site. I wanted to be out. So I, at the time, asked the sales manager at the company if I could move into sales. And he said, yeah, one day, but... Not today. Not today. <laughs> and so that, I would, I would, you know, it was all I'd ever known at that point. I was 26, I think, at that time, 27. And I decided to, you know, venture out and try something different. So... I got myself an outside sales role at a coffee company of all places. Okay. Um, and did that for a few years. And so I was selling corporate coffee service. So the coffee maker that's out in that lobby, I would meet with VentureX and talk to them about, you know, what they're yeah. paying, whatever, why they want it. Yeah. So I did that for a while. And one of my big customers was RBC. Any business, especially in construction, requires us to know what's going on at all times. But... How can we avoid being dragged down by the bits and bytes in order to have that time to build the business and take it forward? If we don't have the right tool to operate our business and are doing things manually instead of digitally, we end up being held back. Now, I'm not talking about making sheets on Excel or texting instead of calling. I'm talking about whole new levels of doing things digitally. From knowing that our employees clocked in at the right place and time, ensuring our employees know the job they need to do, tracking what's going on in the field by receiving live forms or checklists, these all can and should be done digitally. 
Not to mention your younger employees who work and live digitally expect to get that in their workplace as well. And if this sounds like fiction, it's not. Just switch to Connect Team, a platform built for managers and its many different capabilities to help you truly manage your business and give you back time to focus on what you need while giving your employees the work experience they expect to get in 2024. Connect Team has a free plan and a 14-day free trial. Try them today by checking out the link in the show notes. I used to make the joke in the financial district, I used to try and complete buildings, right? So there'd be 27 floors of whatever building downtown and I'd have four of them for this law firm, three of them over here for RBC. How many are we talking about here? Hundreds or thousands? Really? Per building? Well, each each building will have 20 tenants. Wow. Right? So So the goal was you'd try to complete that building. So you'd get the first three floors and then you'd go around and visit the other businesses around there and- Competition? Lots. So you got other guys that are coming in and trying to do the exact same thing that you're doing? Yep. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Throwing beans at each other? No, it was more, uh, (laughs) we'd pass each other. It was always kind of funny because there was one guy, and I don't mean to pick on this guy, but my job was new sales, right? Once somebody came on board, you got a quick handshake and you never saw Josh again. The rest of the account management team would take over. Take care of it. Okay. So there was an account manager at a competing company to ours. And his job was to keep customers, right? So it was a very uh, Goes against dog, your job. Wiley Coyote yes, sort of situation, okay. right? Okay. And anytime I would bump into this guy, you could just see like his day was ruined because he's, you know, shaking hands with some person at the front desk and getting got a deal, got a side. deal, got a deal. All of a sudden the door opens and I come walking in and he's like, because now he knows he's under pressure, right? Like yeah. if I'm there, it means I'm talking to somebody about having them do our service and he knows now he's got a bit of a fight on his hand. So every time this guy would see me walking around a lobby, he'd be like, you know, worried, looking <laughs> over his shoulder. And so you did that for a few years. Ins and outs about the coffee bean business in the corporate world. Yeah, it's it's interesting. But it's, it's I learned a lot from a sales perspective. And what, Bec- uh, like dealing with people directly? De- dealing with people. Um, I hate saying it because... I, I think a lot of it's jargon, but sales techniques and stuff like that. At the end of the day, I'm going to go in and we're going to have a conversation. You're going to talk. Say, and this guy's a nice guy. I want to work with him more. And then that's how it's going to work. So yeah. I, I'm, I'm hesitant to use terms like sales and value selling and all that sort of stuff. But you, I did get a lot of practice having a lot of meetings where I'm going in to make a sale dead cold. Nobody knows who we are. I'm walking in. We're shaking hands. You didn't know me 30 seconds ago. But at the end of that hour, I've gotten you to turf out this guy you've been working with for 12 years and give me a chance at, at doing your coffee. It's the hardest so. of hard sales. It was. It was. Yeah. It, it wasn't easy. Which uh, is applicable uh, to construction. 100%. 100%. Very so much there's a, a huge asset there for you, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it's also, I mean, again, without getting too technical about it, but as I progress through my sales career and you start working at bigger places like in RBC, just to close that loop, one of the places that I sold a lot of coffee to was RBC. And at the time, someone said, you should sell insurance. You can make a lot of money selling insurance. And I went, hmm. Friend of mine also worked at RBC. It was hiring insurance salesmen. So those two things kind of lined up. I said, hey, what are we doing here? And so she, you know, set me up with a coworker of hers. I did my interview. She didn't give me the job. She just kind of gave me the opportunity. And I managed to get myself that job at RBC. Uh, they trained me to go learn about insurance. and All types of insurance? 
mainly life disability and personal insurances. Okay. All um, right. So did that for a while, but when you work at a place like an RBC or a Gallagher or a Canadian Tire, one of these big organizations, everything becomes systemized and they have mm -hmm. a term for everything, mm -hmm. right? So being in coffee, it was interesting because I got a lot of practice in selling outcomes as opposed to selling features. So mm. yeah, that coffee maker out there, it makes espresso, it makes this, it makes that, it's great. If you care about coffee, that might motivate you to buy. If you're just a person who's listening to some guy talk to you a little bit and you don't really give a shit about that coffee either which way, you don't care that the machine has your company logo or it'll make an nope. espresso for Mary around the corner. Nobody cares about that. Yeah. So I realized quickly you had to sell the outcome. Well, what's the outcome of a coffee service? Well, you know, using picking on RBC because they're a big company, right? You know, their capital markets office has 80 people sitting in desks. Each one of those people makes seventy-five dollars to $250,000 a year. And if, doesn't matter, Manny, if you like the coffee, if Mike over here doesn't like the coffee, he's going to go downstairs to Starbucks. He's going to buy, buy a cup of coffee from Starbucks. When was the last time you could go to a Starbucks and be in and out and back in your desk in 15 minutes? Impossible. Doesn't exist. Especially, you know, you're looking at a place like downtown. It's 20 minutes you're lined up for a Starbucks. So then you put dollars to that, right? You're paying this guy $250,000 a year, which works out to X dollars a day, which means that for the cost of doing a month worth of coffee for this guy, you've lost X number of dollars in lost man hours because he's standing there, down there trying to buy a flat white from Starbucks because you just wouldn't buy it for him. Yeah. Now you do that a million times over. It adds up. It all adds up and this is free. You should be paying me more. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's how you could get, like, I would start. That's how you looked at the outcome. That's how you look at the outcome. Right. And so insurance is an outcome based business as well. Right. There's not a feature. Like if I'm sitting there talking to you about your life insurance solution, you don't care that you've got a term rider that'll allow you to you're it's the outcome. It's if you're not here, what happens? your family gets $2 million that yeah. pays their mortgage that pays off the car that puts money away for the kids for school. Like those are, you're selling that outcome. You're not necessarily selling the feature of an insurance policy. Oh, well, it comes with a nice fancy blue booklet. Like nobody gives a shit about that, right? Same thing when it comes to stuff like disability insurance. One of the things I found in my career in the personal insurance space was as much as I'm selling the outcome, the outcome where you're dead is harder for you to envision that the benefit, right? And the conversation associated with it. 100%. Right. And it was funny because based on the time, I was 28 years old. So I'm meeting with a lot of people around my age, 28, 29, meeting with a lot of people my age. And they go, I don't have any wife. I don't have any kids. I don't have any mortgage. I don't need life insurance. You're right. You probably don't right now. But let me tell you about disability insurance. And that would change that whole conversation as well again, right? Yeah. Because, you know, that's where I'm selling that outcome. Okay, so you live by yourself. When you, you got a condo downtown? Yeah, I got it two years ago. Okay. So what happens if you ride your bike to work? Yep. Okay. What happens if you get doored on the way to work? Uh, but do you have enough money to pay your rent for four months? No. Nobody does. No. That's just not the way the world works, exactly. right? Exactly. So then it's like, do you want to move back in with your mom? Nope. No. Okay. Now we've got a quick, easy conversation about disability insurance where... How much was that again? It, it, exactly right. Yeah. Right. And so 
it was, it was the training of coffee and selling those outcomes. Like, hey, you don't have to do this. You're just gonna keep having all these high-priced lawyers go down and buy their coffee and pay money and they're pissed because they're paying 10 bucks for a coffee that you won't buy. You're gonna spend $10 over here for coffee they're not drinking. It's the time though. That was the most valuable mm-hmm. part of that equation. Yep. The loss of time because they could be securing other work, income, building the business. Exactly right. Okay. All right. And the other interesting thing too was you also got a little bit of a, a lesson in who would respond to what sort of messaging. And I used to kind of have little tricks for pulling out what you might like. And again, afterwards, you read a million sales books. These are various questions about whether you're a driver or you're a, I can't remember any of the jargon now. But what I used to do was oftentimes I'd be meeting with office managers. And so say I'm in a downtown condo building or a downtown uh, uh, office building. I don't know. One of the elevators is out. So I make a comment to the person that when I first meet them, oh, Jeff, do those elevators every morning? Like something along those lines. And how you reacted to or how your answer came to me about, I don't know, the traffic or the parking or some sort of, you know, nominal gripe. I would bring that, I'd bring that up to you and I would see what you said. Because for example, some answers were like, well, that's what happens if you're on Bay Street. The personality And you go, okay, you're getting, you're going to look at things this way because you don't see all that traffic and those people in the elevators. To you, that's not a pain in the ass. It's the cost of doing business to be a Bay Street law firm. Okay, so maybe I'm going to skew that conversation to, you know, uh, your clientele. What do they expect from you? They show up to a fancy office like this, right on Bay Street, you know, gold elevators, the whole nine. And then you're you're talking about the same coffee they got at a Denny's? <laughs> That's a different coffee. That person might respond to that a little bit differently. Whereas... So you primed it. A little bit, yeah. Well, it's more just understanding who I'm talking to, yes, right? Yes, yes. And so, you know, another... Same answer to that question could be like, oh, it's a nightmare. I hate it every time. Perfect. Well, I'm going to ask you a lot of questions about the service that you're receiving on your coffee program because coffee itself, it's not, not you know, working on the railroad or anything, but it's work. You got to administer the program. People come to you if the thing doesn't work, if it's dirty, if it's unclean, people's orders, the whole thing. So if when I said that about the elevators or the parking or traffic or whatever, if you responded in a bit more of a negative, what a pain in the ass it was for you way, well, then I'm going to try and find a pain in your ass in this coffee program. And I'm usually able to find it. And you have a solution. And I have the solution, right? So Clever, smart, very, very smart. And you could kind of play that game. And then you start to get a bit of a feel for what people respond to and what they don't. And, so that's actually transferable to any industry. 100%. Like, right? So, and that's what it started. You started honing your skills from that. For it, You could have been dropped into any industry. 100%. And then it's, it's, you're, it's people. You're dealing with people. 100%. People all have the same problems. <laughs> well, and, and it's, it's also how you react to those problems, right? Like, mm-hmm. okay, so people complain about the... Coffee's a great example for this, right? Because everybody's familiar with it. And every, most businesses have coffee makers. So if I were to get into the weeds in insurance, it's less, less applicable. So if, if, if I'm asking you a question and you're like, you're framing it in a way that, ah, oh, it's a problem or it's an advantage or it's a, but that's how you view things. 
And then so understanding how you view things helps me put things in view for you that I want you to view, right? So like, you know, back again, if it's a service thing, I'm going to talk, I'm going to get a bit of a feel that service is a challenge for you. And yeah. I'm going to harp on that, right? Yeah. Um, because at the end of the day, most people, and this was another one I used to use when I would have insurance meetings, you took the meeting for a reason. You can't sell me a spaceship right now. And I wouldn't even take a meeting for a spaceship because there is zero chance I'm going to buy a spaceship. I don't give a shit about spaceships. That's it. I'd buy a spaceship if I had the money for it. I know I can't afford a spaceship. So I'm also <laughs> not taking that meeting, right? right? I'm not going to a Ferrari. Like, you know, the guy at Ferrari's not calling me. Like, Come in and look at the new 350. I wouldn't even do it. Like, that just doesn't make but sense But with insurance, to me. you have someone that's slightly interested. There's, yep. there's an inquiry there. Yep. So why'd you meet me with me today? Exactly. Right? Why are you here? So now start speaking to them and start getting a better idea of who they are. Exactly. Where their problems are. Exactly right. And then I'm here to solve them. And so that's what I mean. I'm, I'm uncomfortable with like sales jargon a lot of the time because I don't think what I do is that difficult. Really, you're just being a curious person who enjoys talking to new people. And inherently, if you have things that solve problems, those people are going to you know, ask you to solve that problem for them, right? Or tell you that they have this problem. You say, hey, well, you know, I got a solution to that problem here. But I don't, I don't know. Like I've learned a lot of sales jargon, which is kind of escaping me at the moment right now. But it's just one of those things where it's, it's not that, right? Cold calling with a good value proposition, maybe. But again, the best value proposition for a spaceship on earth still doesn't work because I couldn't give a shit. Right. But if you were to have a conversation, call me up, be like, hey, I work at SpaceX, just wanted to talk. Like, what? Why are you calling me? Well, I think that you'd fit for this particular reason. And then the guy goes, absolutely not. Well, what if I told you that, you know, you could partially own a spaceship for a dollar a day? You think you can't afford a spaceship, but like, now all of a sudden there's something there, see, see, right? I'm, now I'm interested, man. For a yeah. dollar a day, I totally would buy a spaceship. <laughs> how many days are we talking about here? Yeah, Josh? exactly. No. Exactly. So you get you get all these skills. You're learning how to read people, talk to people, understand them. And then you're doing the insurance. And then you got into others. And then eventually got you right back to high tech. Yeah. Concrete cutting. Exactly. Exactly. So it was interesting. COVID changed uh, a lot of how my job went. So... Gradually from personal insurance, I realized that even in personal insurance, you're having a lot of conversations with people that I'm not really that crazy about having, right? A lot of people, most people on earth, so if you're listening today and you think your financial situation is a disaster, most people's are, right? You're not the only one, yeah. So when I'm sitting there having a conversation with somebody and they're just rhyming off like the litany of Attention contractors, welcome to the future of construction resource management with our platform, where you can easily buy, sell, or rent tools, equipment, and materials with fellow contractors. Say goodbye to wasted time and resources. Need that specialized equipment for a specific project or want to earn extra income from your underused resources? This platform has you covered. With its user-friendly interface and a vast network of trusted contractors, you'll find what you need or make your resources work for you seamlessly. Join the construction community that's changing the game. Visit them online at altlaborsolutions.com and start optimizing your resources today. Alt Labor Solutions, where contractors connect and resources thrive. You know, let's say obligations that they have, whether or not they were 
obligations that they made for themselves or obligations that they couldn't help. You know, some people are unhealthy and those obligations costing. Some people are just bad with money and make terrible decisions, right? Either one of those, they're sitting there in a personal setting or a personal insurance setting, having a conversation like, yeah, so, you know, I went bankrupt nine times or whatever it might be, but then they're actually looking for you to help them with a problem. And in some instances, I can't help you with a problem, Yeah. right? Like the time to buy insurance is when you're healthy. The amount of people who came in on walkers or in wheelchairs trying to buy disability insurance and I'm going, nope, they, they won't give it to you. You're in a, you're in a, you broke your leg. Yeah. They're like, well, how am I going to pay my bills? And that's always a hard conversation to have. Of course. Right. Um, health issues. One of the big ones, and it's kind of funny. I tell this story as a joke now, um, as an, as a, and as an example of putting your foot in your mouth. But it was one of the hardest conversations I ever had, preparing for it, the whole thing. So a married couple comes to me and they both want insurance, life insurance, because they're about to get married. They're going to have some kids. Young couple? Young couple, early 30s. Okay. So husband proved no problem. Okay, great. The wife required some additional underwriting. Then they came back and said that based on the build chart... She was outside of the parameters. Now, the build chart is a L-shaped graph with height on one side and weight on the other. What we think based on? She was overweight. Got it. And they didn't want to insure her at regular rates because she was overweight. So The risk. The risk. So imagine the conversation of a 29-year-old guy telling a 32-year-old lady who was about to get married that she's got to lose weight to get insurance at the right. Difficult. It's a difficult conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody ever reacts to that news in a good, in, in positive light. And so again, it's kind of funny. In hindsight, looking back on it now, I use it as an example of like putting your foot in your mouth. But so I'm talking to my manager at the time, like, how do I, how do I say this? Like, what do I say to this lady? And he's like, well, here's what you're going to do. Speak to the chart. Not you, you, you're, you can't say that this lady's overweight. That's offensive. The chart is saying Speak that. Speak to the build chart. So I'm like, okay, walking on this meeting. I said, you know, based on the parameters of the build chart, you're, you're getting rated 40%, which means they want 40% or 140% more than what they originally quoted you. Well, what does that mean? Well, the build chart has got height on one side and weight on the other and you know, and I'm trying to fumbling my way through explaining that she's too far on this, one dial. This is where she is. Okay. And she just basically, I can see her getting madder and madder as the meeting goes on. And then she goes, so what you're saying? I have to lose weight. And I'm not saying that. <laughs> that, that would have been a better answer. <laughs> uh, my answer was, cause again, I was very uncomfortable when I'm uncomfortable. I make jokes. Um, and I said, well, or you could get taller and it flew like a lead balloon (laughs) (laughs) or you can get taller. I like that one. Okay. So that, that that, that conversation, I realized I needed to get out of that business. Okay. Uh, that's a hard sale. It's hard. It's a hard. Yeah. Okay. To be fair to close the loop. She bought the insurance. That being said, Um, you still needed the protection. Hopefully she's doing well and everything's fine. And to be fair, she still needed the insurance. Yes. Right. Like none of that changed. You're going to get married. You're going to have kids. You're going to have a life and you want the protection. Yes. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. So I then got an opportunity to be a little bit more 
I got the opportunity to run a coffee company at that time. So I did that for six months on a contract basis. Um, and then I moved into the employee benefit space because where I wanted to go was, okay, I'm, I get insurance because insurance itself can be a little bit complicated, right? And so you either kind of get how it works or you don't get how it works. And so I got insurance. Like I understood how that worked. I could kind of predict with accuracy, like, ah, they're not going to like that or they will like this or will this pay or won't that pay? Yeah. I kind of got it, right? Yeah. But then I'm like, how do I not have this build chart conversation with this lady ever again? And then I looked at my corporate coffee sales. I went, well, I know all these people and they all bought coffee from me. Maybe I can sell them like insurance, group insurance, because that was also something I was licensed to do with my, with my personal insurance. So that's when I moved to a company called People Corporation. They're one of the largest, they're actually the largest Canadian insurance brokerage in Canada. Okay. They trained me on group benefits. I did that for about four years. I left, I went and worked at an insurance carrier. So my job was basically getting insurance guys like me to buy insurance from my company versus one of the other 12 companies that they're getting quotes for whenever they go to market. So did that for a little while. Um, and ultimately, why I left that role was I wanted to get back into client-facing end-user sales. Um, but That's maybe, where you honed your skills. That's it. Yeah. And what I found was when I was working in the insurance carrier side of things, you'd bring a client to me and I'd start talking to you and I'd realize, Manny, Manny's not got it. I can't, I can't let Manny take my solution to Manny's client and I can't rely on Manny to do it. So a lot of the time I would just kind of push you out of the way and be like, it's complicated, Manny. Why don't I go in and I'll talk to your customer about it, right? <laughs> okay. And then so I would go in and close those deals on your behalf. And then I started thinking, well, why am I making Manny money? Why aren't I back out doing this side of things myself? And so I kind of moved back into that. The challenge was all of this was while COVID kind of started and happened. So one of the ways that as an insurance carrier, I get Manny to listen to me is I take you out and play golf or I go have lunch or we go have a coffee or we go have a movie or we go literally do anything you want to do Guard if you'll down. hang out with me. Guard down. Right? Okay. So that was a great job. I was a professional golfer. I used to make the joke, right? I was terrible at golf, but somebody was paying me to go play golf every day. Um, but when COVID hit, that was all the upside of that job was being out and doing that. When COVID hit, I went, okay, back to the drawing board a little bit. And so I ended up moving back into the consultancy side of the things. And I was working in that till like I said, 16, 18 months ago. Mm -hmm. Um, what happened was I, I ended up getting laid off. They had some, uh, some fun, right when financial markets started getting a little bit scared. Yeah. Um, Gallagher, like a lot of big employers, big, a lot of big finance places in the States, they laid a ton of people off. So they laid me off and I was kind of sitting there going, what the heck am I going to do? I liked, I liked the job, but one of the things that had become obvious to me is you're very much just a number working at one of these big 20,000, 30,000 employee employers, you yeah. know? It's great, but if you try to do anything a little bit substandard or outside of the usual business procedure, it's, it's met with a lot of resistance. Because a lot of times people have no idea what you're talking about and you're trying to push this weird way and they're like, we don't need weird ways, man. We just need the straightforward way that everybody else is doing it. So you don't have a lot of freedom in that job. Yeah. Um, that being said, you also, like I say, you're just guy number one or guy 26882398, I believe I was at RBC. 
So it was almost 700,000 employees in, right? Wow. Like it's, it, so you're looking at of, that number going, I'm a number. And when you, you know, I should have been, it's kind of funny. Cause when they laid me off a month prior, I had done an interview to be a senior vice president. And I'm like, okay. So when I got a call about this meeting with my boss after the Labor Day long weekend, I'm like, maybe it's about that interview I just did. And what I really should have done was connected the dots because I was in a, a leadership meeting on the Wednesday or Thursday the week prior where we were saying that we basically could not hire three administrators because we had a wage freeze and we needed to find some salary to hire these administrators. I got paid like three administrators. So I really should have seen that coming, right? Yeah. Um, but there I was thinking I was maybe getting a promotion when I showed up for my layoff call and I was laid off. Okay. Um, all the while, throughout my whole journey, one of my clients was a guy I used to work with at the concrete cutting company. Because in 2018, he went off and started his own company, which is high-tech high concrete. Okay. So when I got laid off, it's very common in insurance. People get laid off. It's musical chairs. Guys bounce around all the time. So I called at the time. I called high tech and I spoke with Kendra, who was my daily contact for the employee benefits. I say, hey, like, I'm out. Uh, wasn't expecting it. Sorry. But I'll be somewhere else in two weeks and I'll call you and we'll just move your plan over to where I am in a couple of weeks. And she's, you know, she was a little bit shocked as well as I was. And we kind of left it that I would just call her in a couple of weeks. So then I got a call two days later from Dan, the owner of high tech. And he said, what's going on? I'm like nothing. He's like, I know that's why I'm calling. I said, okay. <laughs> and he goes, would you have any interest in coming back and being a sales guy for me here at high tech? Like, I know it's been a long time since you've been out of the business. Um, but what do you think? It's riding a bike, man. Come on. What's that? It's like riding a bike. It, it very much was. Yeah. Uh, it was, it, that was my biggest concern was I spent so much time learning all this other stuff that I might've forgot some of the other stuff. Didn't happen. I, you know, my first day out, I was like, so are we just doing this with this and this? And the guy's like, yep. Like, all right. I'm, I'm more, much more comfortable about it now. Right. So that was kind of, he reached out and offered me that job. And I thought about it and talked to my wife about it. And she's like, you don't, you don't really like insurance. I'm like, mm, not really. I'm good at it, but it's not like, you know, I don't wake up every day going on. Today I get to file some dental claims, <laughs> right? Like, so that and the fact that that whole industry, a lot of white collar is now um, work from home. Yeah. Right. So when people used to ask me when I was back in the, 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 the coffee sales guy days, so I'm going to three meetings a day, five days a week, 15 meetings every week, sales, bang, 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 bang. They were all just sales meetings. I had a lady who sat in an office and called and booked appointments. And I would look at my schedule for the next day and see I had anywhere from two to six meetings that particular day. But my minimum was 15 a week. Wow. So everyone's like, how do you do that? You're going from Oakville to Scarborough to to bury to do all these sales things. Every time you're running in, you're making a sale, you're running out. Yeah, but the idea of sitting at the same desk every single day in the same room for 45, 50 hours a week is a nightmare for me. So the same way that you can't fathom how I'm running across the province, going from place to place to place, I can't fathom how you can just sit there. Yep. That's what I was looking at going back into the world of insurance. That and being, you know, employee 700,000 again somewhere else. So when Dan called, gave me that offer, 
I thought about it. And I also thought about all the conversations that I'd had with Dan while he was a client of mine. Right. And I realized that Dan was a great guy to work for. Mm-hmm. He was doing a lot of the stuff that quietly, you know, we had all this jargon for employee engagement and active listening and making employees feel valuable and retirement programs and benefit programs and engage like all the jargon. Dan's doing all that just quietly and didn't realize that's what he was doing. His approach was, I just want to work at a place that would treat me the way that I wanted to be treated. So I'm going to treat people that way. And inherently he's like, I say, he's textbook for all the various things that if you hired a, you know, fancy consultant like me to come down and tell you, you got to do this, you got to do that. He's doing all that. Yeah. It's just not dressed up in the jargon. It's just him going, yeah, you know, I, I provide lunch for everybody every day. Well, why do you do that? Well, cause we got a fridge and it saves you having to go out and I want to eat and I've got food in the fridge anyway. So why don't I just buy you guys food? Right. Well, that's Google's employee appreciation and keeping captive and all that same sort of stuff I used to talk about on the value outcome selling when I was selling coffee. Dan was just doing that because it just kind of made sense to him. Right. And it works. And it works because, you know, we all still like working there and we're all happy to work there. And it's a good place to work because everybody is so happy to work. So that was 18 months ago. Yes, sir. How's it been? It's been great. I'm really enjoying it. I, uh, I tell everybody all the time. It's been a long time since I've enjoyed going to work every single day. You ever get on site? All the time. All the time, I right? I was freezing my uh, toes off yesterday on a, <laughs> up at Aurora. You're on site for what reason? Uh, could be any variety of reasons. So I go to sites a lot of the time to look at jobs. Someone will call me and say, I got this weird elevator opening. Can you come give me a price on it? Looking for cutting edge solutions for your spray foam needs? Look no further than Elasticam Specialty Chemicals. With a remarkable track record spanning over three decades, Elasticam stands as an industry leader supplying contractors across Canada with top grade closed cell, open cell, and specialty foam products and accessories. Experience hassle-free spraying in both summer and winter with Insulthane Extreme, Canada's groundbreaking HFO closed cell product. Time is precious, and we know it. Optimize your efficiency and avoid downtime by choosing the best products with the best technical and customer support. Elevate your spray foam game today with Insulthane Spray Foam products by Elasticam. Give them a try today. Visit their website at www.elasticam.com or give them a call at 1-877-787-2436. Sure. And then I got to go out and take a look at kind of what my guys would be up against to give somebody a price or sometimes it's going just to figure out how the hell we're going to do that job, right? Guy's calling, describing how he's got a hole, but it's kind of weird. It's above a thing. And I'm like, all right, I'll just be over there in 15 minutes. We'll take a look. Now so, what's your, what's your radius? Like where does high tech work? North, South and uh, all sorry, over the GTA. Well, Northeast and West only because South, I guess you're into the lake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you don't get on the Island. You get on, going yeah, there's a tiny little bit stuff. there, but I don't know. Is there much core cutting going on? No, not really much, but you guys are all over the GTA, all over the GTA. So you're going really far then. Yep. And you're based out of where again? Bolton. Bolton. So it's good. We're right at the 427 to Major Mac. So I'm right on the highway and then you can get into east and west and north. No problem. Five minutes, 10 minutes. I'm in the Vaughn. Yeah. 10 minutes. I'm in the Mississauga. You're actually in a really good spot. It's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. You, you're, you don't have to deal with the, the, the traffic of Toronto. No. Exactly. Not that much, right? Exactly. Although I find myself in those towers downtown quite a bit because that's where there's a lot of work going on. But uh, Do you do what you did outside here where you just stopped and pointed at the machine that was out there and you're at those towers and you're like... Sometimes. Sometimes, sometimes right? Sometimes. <laughs> I mean, one of the things I did a lot of, um, 
because again, it was just kind of old habit was I would just drive up to site trailers and drop off. Like basically I'd be driving around. If I see tower cranes, I know somebody's working there. So then you drive over, you find the trailer and walk in with, I don't know, calendar, business card, you name it, some of the swag I have there. And it's the same thing, right? It's all the same thing. I'm not tap dancing about coffee or any of that sort of stuff, but we're going to have a conversation and you'll tell me about, you know, oh, I'm currently using these guys. They haven't shown up today or whatever it might be. And we'll have that conversation. And sometimes it leads to an opportunity to do some work, which then ultimately leads to an opportunity to do a lot of work. So what's the history of high tech and Dan? Like how far back are we going here? Well, so Dan himself is a guy who grew up in the concrete cutting business. His old man was a concrete cutter. Uh, I, I'm not going to get the ages right, but I think it was like 16, 17. Okay. He quit school and, and started cutting concrete himself. Uh, did that for, again, he'd be a better guy to tell you his career path exactly, but he then moved from actually working on the tools to being a sales guy. Um, back in, say, 2005, there was one ginormous company that did most of the work in Ontario for concrete cutting. Okay. And then there was kind of smaller, three or four smaller companies. So we both worked at the large company. I was in dispatch and Dan was a sales guy. So we got to know each other that way. Um, some things changed at the ownership of company A. So Dan ended up leaving and going to a smaller company B. Um, I ended up leaving and going to the world of coffee. We stayed in touch. Dan ran the sales at the company B for, geez, I guess 10 years or something like that. And then in 2018, he incorporated high tech. And then in 2019, he opened full time. So it's fairly new. Yeah. I realized that. Okay. Absolutely. Well, we very quietly and quickly grown into the second largest concrete cutting company in Ontario. Um, How many employees are we talking about here? Just recruiters. over 50. So we got about 35 guys on the road, I believe it is nowadays. So what makes a concrete cutting tradesperson versus a concrete tradesperson? Because I'm assuming there's a line drawn there that they choose or maybe they come from concrete and they get into concrete cutting or do they get directly into concrete cutting? A lot of the time, it's a combination of all of those things. Okay. So we're in the same union as a lot of concrete finishers, scaffold yeah, guys. Clear. It's union yeah. labor, uh, local 506. Yeah. So that tends to be where our guys go. So, I mean, I've gone down recently. Dan's had me go down to 506 and make a pitch for why guys should be choosing concrete cutting as a pr trade, a trade, as opposed to concrete finishing or scaffold erection or whatever it might be. So it's kind of weird. Um, we make the joke all the time. Nobody has ever set out to be a concrete cutter. You kind of find yourself in it, right? It's, a, it's like a lot of trades. But um, some guys, we have some guys who came as 19-year-olds and just literally were told that if they could carry concrete, they'd have a job. So they started doing that. And that's what they did. And then they, like a guy like me, who just learned a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more, and then find themselves as a full-rate concrete cutter and running their own truck and going, huh, I didn't realize I would stay and do this for as long as I did. Um, some guys have brothers or cousins or uncles or dads in the business and they'll, you know, start out as a helper because they needed a job and they realize, hey, it worked for my old man. Why wouldn't I do that? And then they stay in it. Some, you know, one of our guys used to actually be a concrete finisher and realized that there's probably more steady hours as a concrete cutter. And so he moved over and started working with us. That's kind of the pitch that 
I would make to anybody that's considering concrete cutting. Yeah. Typically, concrete cutting is very different from a lot of the 506 trades specifically because if I'm, you know, building a building downtown or something, I might call and say, I need 200 guys to build scaffold for a week. So those guys come in, they build the scaffold, they go back to the union hall, they wait for the next guy to call and say, they've got a job that requires 200 guys. Concrete cutting is a little bit different in the sense that when you join, yeah, you're a 506 guy, but you're very much now an employee of high-tech concrete cutting. You're not bouncing around, getting laid off. You're working for us, and you're working for us 365 days a year. That truck is your truck. That guy is your journeyman. That guy is your helper. And so there is a lot of consistency that would come from being a concrete cutter versus some of the other more special, well, not specialized, what's the word? On-demand trades. Well, I get it. It's like the finishers, there's a little difference of pride, I guess, right? Like the the thrill of the um, the stress and the anxiety of the truck arriving and pouring it and, and then finishing on and make sure it's all good and it's beautiful versus you guys come in and cut core that work. Yes. Right? So I guess there's they think there's more glamour in the finishing side? Maybe. I, I, I don't know. That's the perception. Per, perhaps. We do some really cool stuff. When that's it comes what to I was going. That's where I was getting yeah. at. Is that like like your core cutting? There's still an art to it, man. Hundred percent. Like it's not just like yeah, put the machine, lock it down, and drill. It's not that. Like no. it's not. There's some art to it, right? Hundred percent. The you know the joke that we make is it's one thing to cut a piece of concrete. The art form is getting that piece of concrete down. Right. So you know. Here's a prime example. We did a job way back when I was in the dispatch office. And you know when you drive into Toronto on the GO train? Mm -hmm. You see that giant television that's on the side of City Place? Yeah. So I remember when I was working in the dispatch, we were cutting the opening for that television. So basically one guy went out and made all the cuts Monday through whatever. What size hole? What size hole? I think it's like 80 by 40. Like the actual size of the TV, and you're talking 18 inch thick concrete. You're talking like a million pound, two million How pound. How long did piece that of take? A couple weeks to get it prepared, but so here's where it's really cool, right? So these guys, they do all this prep work, they get this this opening all set, and again, 15 years ago, so I might be getting some of these details wrong, but basically that piece, the only way you could do that removal, because you're on the rail tracks, right? The only place you could do that removal was on the rail tracks. And it ain't like playing hockey on the street. No. You can't just like train. No, exactly. <laughs> so basically what these guys did was they got it 99.9% of the way out on Monday through Friday. I think it took like a month to get it to the point where it was 99.9% out. Then what they did was they gave us, I think it was three or four hours. Again, I'm bastardizing the story. Three or four hours on a Saturday where they would shut the train tracks down, where we had to get a crane in and get that piece out in three or four hours. You drop it, trains ruin, trains don't open on Monday. That's a big deal. Yeah, you, doesn't you, come you're, out. You're damaging the tracks. Yeah, doesn't come out. You're stuck. That's a big deal. So everything had to go perfect. So that Saturday morning, the owner of the company, basically everybody who had Saturday morning off went down and looked at that. At the time, just to give you an idea of the timing, David Miller was still mayor of Toronto. He showed up because he goes, you guys are moving a 2 million pound piece of concrete over go rail tracks. I want to see that. So... We do some really cool stuff in terms of glory. That's one of the coolest things I've ever heard happen in 
That's construction, let alone. Did they document it? Is there a video somewhere on YouTube? No. Nothing? This, buddy, this is before cell phone cameras. Oh, I know, but I would love to have seen that. That <laughs> yeah, would have been be amazing to see that. Just a, the, just a man, the stress associated with that. 100%. And it went off well? Went great. No problems. Everybody Under three hours? I think it, everything worked the way it was supposed to work. Wow. But we've done, I mean, Dan and the guys at High Tech before I started there, the roundhouse uh steam whistle not too far from okay there is a giant like platform thingy like silo tower call it right okay. like, right out front okay when they were doing that renovation one of the jobs was we were moving it so this thing was set into the concrete we wired saw the bottoms of these pillars out somebody else took it with a crane moved it over six feet dropped it back down and then they set it in new concrete in what period of time like how couple few days Wow. Yeah. So we do some cool shit in concrete cutting. And that's kind of one of the that's things. That's what I'm going at with the art. Like, it's not just a matter of... And then you're also getting involved structural engineering and all kinds of stuff. This is like the responsibility attached to this, man. Yep. And then it's concrete that you're cutting. Yep. Yeah. So it's not exactly... Yeah, it's not like running a skill saw along a uh, piece of plywood. Piece right? of plywood, no, not I know. Sometimes no. you're finding bars, two inch bars in there, like you, you, you name it. What's the biggest blade that you guys are working with? Like, I mean, I'm just, I, I, I assume thirty six or what? Oh no, more than we, that. I think we have an eighty four inch blade at the shop. Eighty four inch blade. Mm hmm. So it's around. You got a round bit, right? Yeah, yeah. So <coughs> I can only ever get to half. Of whatever that blade, blade is. Down, right? So 36 inch concrete is the most, it's very common. Very, very common to get 36 inch concrete or 36 inch asphalt. Because you can cut through the asphalt and if there's a concrete base of some sort, whatever, you can cut through that. You're into aggregate. Now you're working. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So depending, I mean, we've had some, like I say, so I think it's 84 inches is the biggest blade that we have. That's seven feet. So you're given three and a half foot cutting. Yep depth but then we do all kinds of wild like have you ever heard of wire sawing no that's very wait cool. a minute why wire sawing like for for marbles like yeah you're like a guillotine well not a guillotine um yeah more or less i guess it's a diamond infused uh wire wire and then depending on it's like a big bandsaw isn't it correct yeah so the joke we make all the Fucking time is dangerous. I, could, I could cut the CN Tower down if you gave me enough time. You just loop the wire around and you sit there and pull it for four or five days. You'll get that CN Tower I was going to no just ask you, like, you guys ever, like, doing the work downtown, looking at the CN Tower going, hey, if I could just drill a hole in that. We've done that before. So, again, I'm not a heights guy. So anytime I'm standing on one of those construction elevators, I'm tucked into the corner and, you know, just wait. Well, because it's just wire and you're open air and... Yeah, yeah, we don't need to talk about that. I got to go on one of those later this week. I don't need to know how... uh... (laughs) Let me describe how it is. Yeah, exactly, how terrifying it is. (laughs) Okay. But, um, so, this was, again, while I was working in the dispatch, and it's actually one of my coworkers at this company. It was his job at the time. And what they needed was they were putting in some emergency hatch on the observation deck of the CN Tower. So, Man, so how do you cut? I'm assuming underneath is the ground floor in a few seconds. Air. Yeah. 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 So these guys went up to the observation floor, rigged everything up safely at night, and cut themselves a 36-inch by 24-inch uh, opening in the observation deck. capture the concrete? They anchored it. 
Yeah, they would have anchored it with an A-frame and a gantry. Yeah, okay, and so they anchored and all it. That but jazz. you're still getting concrete dust of some sort or slurry coming down the bottom a little bit. You can mitigate that by putting concrete vacuum pads around. And, and yeah, no, it's that happens all the time. Wow. How big of a hole again? I think it was like 36 by 24. It was enough for a man hatch. Like, they needed to be able to open the hatch to, to have the window wiper or window washer get onto his trolley and then go down and wash all yeah, the windows on the elevator. Yeah, I don't want that elevator. job. I don't want... Not me at all. No, it's no. funny because Scott, uh, my the other sales guy at high tech, was the one who priced that job. And he said it, he would never do that again because he's not crazy about going back up to the top of the CN Tower. He's got all kinds of stories about, you know... So you guys have cut the CN Tower. You can, okay, what, what, buildings, what other buildings have you guys cut do you know of? Techno metal post screw piles are installed by our trained certified professionals using specially designed hydraulic machines. The piles are augured in until they reach a specified torque and depth, allowing our installers to determine the load bearing capacity for the structure. Helical pile foundations are made from hollow structural steel HHS that is compliant with ASTM A500 grade C. They are designed, tested, fabricated, and installed in compliance with Canadian, European, and U.S. building codes. When compared to bolted coupling and similar products, TMP's fully welded couplings ranked above the others and provided maximum strength, rigidity, and enhanced buckling resistance. Different shaft and helical blade sizes are available to accommodate the needs of structure support and site soil conditions. Our engineering department provides assistance to determine the appropriate sizes for specified project types. Reach out to them at www.technometalpost.com for your next project. Okay, what what buildings? What other buildings have you guys cut? Do you know of? Uh... Pretty much if there's concrete in Toronto, there's you guys are cutting it. One of the legends that we heard back in the day was years and years and years ago um, when they were building the CN, or not CN Tower, the Skydome. Okay. it's a lot of concrete there. A lot of concrete there, but nobody left railing holes for, you know, the rails, like yeah. you walk it all the way up. Nobody left those. So there was no holes for any of these railings. There was also no holes for any of the seats. You had to core all that. I I was like somebody four. Had to core all somebody that. I think I the, the yeah, that was I 80, heard that would have been 90. Basically, the company was shut down for three weeks while every person that worked there was walking around drilling every single rail hole. Can you imagine the sound in that stadium? Oh, crazy! If it was being done with the roof closed and all those drills going on at the same time, yep, you could have almost been a conductor and just like. Yeah, I'd be curious to see how many guys were on that job who didn't go deaf at the end of it, right? Like, yeah. That's a lot of holes. Like, what are we, thousands maybe? 30 or 40,000, I heard, I think the number was that I heard at the time. Again, this is a, it's Now, anybody who's going to Skydome or a Rogers Center now, and you, next time you walk in there, take a look at the railings and take a look at the seats and take a look at the holes. Yep. There's a yep. legend story there. That's what 100%. It is. And then there's, there's all kinds of cool ones like that. Like, one of the ones that, again, I oversaw while I was in the dispatch office was they were demoing out and turning Maple Leaf Gardens into a Loblaws. Yeah, I can't fucking believe that they did that. Yeah, whatever, it's done. Either way, yeah. I got a piece of the red line in a four-inch core that looks like a hockey pick sitting in my dresser at my house to That's this awesome. day. That's awesome. Because it was actually a really cool project. So I can't remember the company at the time that hired us to do it, but what they had done was they figured out a way to monetize the concrete floor of Maple Leaf Gardens. So what they had us come in and do was drill... 750 or a thousand hockey puck three and a half inch or three inch cores hockey puck sized core bits of the floor and then they were selling them 
like the really nice ones that had some decal and like you could get some red line or you could get some blue line. I think they were selling them for 500 bucks a piece at the time. How many did they make? I think 500. <laughs> but it required Smart. a thousand holes. So there was extras and sitting on my dresser at home is the floor of May, part of the red line of Maple Leaf Gardens. What's the concrete look like? Great concrete, actually. Is it? Well, yeah. you're talking as far back as what? Like, this was poured. No, they were always fixing that, repairing that building. Yeah. So it could I have mean, been a fairly new concrete at that time. Could have been. Yeah. But it could have also been But still, been though, you have re-topped. that piece. Yeah. Yeah. So, it was like I say, the, the, the list is endless. Like, we were out working this summer. High Tech was working, uh, drilling a bunch of core holes at the new Golf Canada head office. Okay. Um, every car manufacturing facility on earth we wandered around drilling holes in. Every big project, like I say, that cool one at the roundhouse. Like, you're constantly doing unique, interesting projects. For as many where you get the call where it's like I need one hole through a wall in a parking garage. Okay. We're there. But then very easily you could get a call where it's like, I got to figure out how to put a hole in the CN Tower. It's like, also cool. I'll be right there. So, it's very, very neat. And that's what I mean to say. Like, there isn't a job site in Ontario that hasn't had some concrete cut at it by some concrete cutter. Might not be us, but... Did you have anything or do you know anybody that had anything to do with the ROM and the crystal when they were cutting out that original, I guess it's, it would have been granite. Mm. Remember I how don't they know. I don't know much about that though. Cause they would have cut out sections of the ROM yep. and then they added the crystal and they had to anchor it and build it in there. So from my understanding is that those sections were sold off. And I know a few people that actually bought the sections. Oh, probably it, as long as you could transport it. Yep. Right. Cause they weren't breaking down the sections. They're keeping the sections as intact as possible. Oh yeah yeah, yeah. 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 Right. And then people were using it to try to, I don't know, build other section. And I thought it was fascinating because mm-hmm. you didn't need them at that renovation that they were doing. Yeah. Cause they were adding the whole crystal part of it. But I mean, that's what happens in Toronto. There's a lot of that. And then there's a typical stuff where you're, cutting the asphalt and yep. you're 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 getting into services and you need to open up airways and for, for people to go in there and do the work right mm-hmm. but yeah so you guys are like does the machine do a, a funny sound when you're actually hitting the metal like can you tell when yes. the machine it you can tell there's a different pitch to it right it's not even the pitch you can feel you can feel it in the saw like if i'm core drilling i know right away you, you oftentimes you can tell right away when you hit a bar and oftentimes you can tell right away when you're cutting away through a plastic conduit. Just because the saw, it just, it doesn't bounce the same way in your hand. It doesn't sound the same way in your ear. And oftentimes, like for example, if you were hitting an electrical conduit, your water doesn't pool the same way that it used to. Okay, The biggest indication that you hit a conduit is that you lose your water. Because it goes right through the conduit. Because it just runs away. Yeah. You go, oh, wait a sec. That's not how it works, right? Normally yeah. I'm drilling a hole, it stays here. Yeah. Once it drains away, I've hit... I've done something that has allowed it to drain. So now I got to pull it out and check and hope that it's not a power cable I hit or that I've not gone through the concrete itself and, you know, just soaked the floor below. Um, so these saws, they're kind of like Jaws to me because I grew up watching Jaws as a kid, which I should mm. never have done, right? <laughs> still still afraid of sharks. I'm still afraid of water sometimes, right? Um, when I see these saws... I just, I'm just intimidated by them, but are they really dangerous or are they, they're really dangerous. You're going to tell me they're really, like, they look like they're dangerous to me. I mean, anything could be dangerous. It's a big blade. Yep. I know that it's not moving as fast as. Oh, it's moving. It's moving. Like if I'm spinning a slab saw, like say you want me to come in here and cut a trench. Okay. That's a 30 or 40 horse saw that's spinning that blade at. I'm, What's the I'm, RPM? Is it going to be fast? It's not 9, fast. 9,000. Really? It's crazy. 
Wow. Well, because it's a combination of speed and the speed of the blade and the diamond bit segments is what's actually doing the cutting of the concrete. And so, sorry, what were you going to say? I was just, and so that's another indicator that you can tell maybe like, you know, one of the common terms when it comes to drilling is let the drill do the work. Yes. So I'm drilling. Once I notice that that bit has spun or slowed down slightly, I'm trying to go too fast because I'm pushing it past where it can keep up. So then it's, you let off a little and then back up to that high cycle speed that you're looking for. And yeah. Where are these blades all coming from? The Canadian made or are they coming from Germany? Uh, I should know this. A lot of them are based out of the United States. The United States, eh? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So there's, it depends. There's millions of blade manufacturers. So they're all coming from different places, but big ones are diamond products based out of Ohio, Husqvarna, North America, but they're German or whatever yeah. they are. And then smaller players that, that provide like, you know, just bits that would just make bits or just make blades or, or whatever. It would now, be. are they diamond teeth being replaced or the whole blades being replaced? The so, teeth? Yeah, the teeth. No, no, it's actually usually the whole blade. The it whole used blade. to be, I, from my understanding, again, a guy with a lot more gray hair would be able to tell you a better story about the bit cycle. But um, my understanding was diamond costs used to be very high in the 80s and 90s. So at that point, it made the cost of diamonds was prohibitive to like, so what you would do is you'd baby your blade. You'd try to reuse as many of the segments as you could. You'd change segments because it was cheaper to have somebody screw around with that bit for four hours to get an extra couple holes out of it than to buy a new bit. Yeah. The way it's changed now with the cost of industrial diamonds and some of the changing metrics around how people get paid, now it's better just throw the thing away, get a new one in. What's an industrial diamond? It's just, it's got all the flaws and everything. So all the flaws. It doesn't, we just need the hardness on it. Exactly. That's all we need. It. Exactly. And it's usually like, I don't want to say dust, but like granular level. Like you're not using a one carat industrial <laughs> diamond, right? <laughs> no, because I picture some trades going by there going, that'd make a good ring right there. You know what I mean? I'm looking at that. I'm getting married and there's my engagement ring yeah. right there. No, it's not that kind of no, ring. No, 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 no. It's like, <laughs> it's industrial diamond. Like, it, it, you know, if, you, if you've used your bit enough and it's a sunny day, you might be able to see a little bit of sparkle off of one of your teeth. But for the most part, they're, it's just the hardness that they're using. They're stones at that point. So why is it that, uh, or why do you think, I, I, don't, I don't want you to speak for Dan, but it seems like he's built a good company culture, mm -hmm. right? And, and he's got a solid business and he's got a solid crew of people that when you call you guys, right, you guys are known for all these great things about it. So then you guys will deliver mm -hmm. problem and solve it. Correct. And you've got all the people behind it, right? Yep. What's his, what's his secret? Well, he's been in the business for a long time so, so he's, uh, he started boots on the ground he understands it right yeah so he's 40 years in now i think so it's a combination of personal hands-on experience like i wouldn't want to i didn't like it when guys had me go out and do that mm -hmm. stuff like one of the big things when i came back to the industry was a lot of the labor had been moved from guys backs to equipment it used to be when i was you know say in the dispatch side of things you could throw guys at it, but equipment was expensive. Yeah. Well, as the cost of labor increased and labor became harder to find, the cost of equipment started making more sense. So one of the things Dan's a big proponent of is use equipment to do removals, right? Like I wouldn't like it if some guy sent me out 
and asked me to pull 250 feet of trench with my hand. So why wouldn't I send a skid steer to help that guy out? Yeah. Right. He's also seen kind of what works and what doesn't. He's worked for a few companies in the business, big, small, made small ones, big ones. Um, and he realized, you know, this works and this doesn't, or this, this gets you to a certain place or this doesn't get you to a certain place. And so I think a lot of the secret to success is he's a guy who's been in this business. He's invested in this business. He enjoys it. And he's just kind of has an idea of what works and what doesn't and what people respond to and what people would want to work for and who people would want to work for. It's like you said earlier, it's funny how a lot of people don't realize or they just take advantage of the cutting concrete business. But it's necessary, like it's so necessary, right? Hundred percent. Everything is being built in every city across North America, across the world. Yep. Like, yeah. And and as as complexity increases on a project, we're required even more. Because if all I'm doing, if you know, you just want a square room this size, maybe there is no concrete cutting that comes in here. But if this used to be a lab and you're trying to turn it into a kitchen. Well, holy shit, like you can't do that job without having a concrete cutting company come in. Or, you know, one of the big ones that kept us busy last winter was I had a project where there was a lot of poor workmanship on the concrete. Finishing. Pouring of this project. So like, it looked like every form on this job bust open. So we had to go cut huge sections out. We had to cut a whole half an inch off the top of the roof. That building does not open unless there is somebody who has the ability to take a half an inch from the entire perimeter of the entire roof, right? So that's what I mean to say, like we, you know, most people go, I don't need your hole, but when you need it, you're desperate. And like, it's your project is stopped without us being on site to do some of that work for you. Educate me, Josh. I mean, are you guys scanning or somebody else scanning? We'll scan. So you guys are scanning. Yep. We have three scanners on our staff. Okay. But it's your responsibility or is it someone else's responsibility in, in, in industry's terms? It's, it would be ours. Okay. That's what um, I figured. Yeah. So we, we would do, again, there is certain limitations to scanning. And if for whatever reason we're up against those limitations, we might tell you, hey, you should probably x-ray this. And then we can all have a discussion about whether or not that makes sense. From a cot, like so, I know I totally get what you're saying. Yeah. I, I personally have never seen the X-ray part of it. How does that work? Same as the uh, the X-ray you'd get on your bone. Really, take a piece of film, really shine some radiation at it, and whatever burns onto that piece of film is where your and rebars. Then, how and your far down can it go? So typically, what would happen is where we see the most X-raying is in like those downtown condo or apart office towers. So, for example, using my old employer, I'd go to the 155 building at RBC. Somebody wants a hole on the 10th floor. So the x-ray guys would show up. We sub out x-ray. But we'd hire the x-ray guys. They'd put a piece of film on the floor of the 10th. Go down to the 9th floor. Figure out, you know, to be directly beneath it. And then they would push the camera. But the camera in that instance isn't like a snap-snap camera like the Polaroid here. It's a box effectively that holds a piece of cobalt and you're opening the lid to release that cobalt radiation up through the concrete depending on the thickness of the co- again i'm not doing a great job explaining no no it. no the, but the, it's the basically the parameters of it yeah but what's going to happen is that radiation is going to travel through the slab but based on how radiation travels through metal plastic and concrete 
what'll start happening is you'll see an image start getting burned on that film of exactly where all of the rebar and all of the conduit and all of the plastic pipe and... And the film is just laid on top of the concrete on the above structure. Yes. And, and then everybody's wearing what? Hazmat suits? Everybody's suits? the heck out of town. There's no... Really? Yeah. So that's why... There's no... The, you can't pinpoint the radiation. Nope. So you got to get the hell out of that. Everybody's off both floors. And then the building needs to be evacuated. And this happens all the time. All the time. Quickly turn digital measurements into efficient gains for your business. With iGUIDE, you can turn around DWG floor plans within 48 hours, easily share project files with partners, and create 3D walkthroughs for your clients. Stop struggling with inaccurate measurements, manual processes, and inefficient project planning and collaboration. Discover how you can boost productivity and cut costs with a virtual demo. Visit www.goiguide.com forward slash AEC to connect with an iGUIDE specialist. Holy shit. There's probably somebody X-raying in the city of Toronto financial district right every now. single night. Because it's usually always done at night. Because you can't clear out 155 Wellington at 1 o'clock in the afternoon on a Wednesday. Do the lawyers come back in and go, do you smell burnt toast? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. But sometimes, you know, one of the ones I always remember, and I pass the place. And I don't want to say it because I don't want to embarrass No, anybody, no, no. Don't, don't. But I pass by this building every single time. And there was a guy who called me, and he goes, I want to do an x-ray. And I'm like, okay, you know what x-raying entails, right? Yeah, 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 that's fine. So who are you? He goes, I'm the business owner. You don't have a contractor or anybody you're working with? No, no, I'm, I'm handling everything myself. Okay, so you want me to come in and x-ray for you? Yes. Do you know the parameter? I'm going to send you x-ray parameters. So I sent him a little one page. Can't have anybody within 150 feet of where we're going to be x-raying, up, down, sideways, over. Send this You're guy. basically out of the building at that point. Everybody's out 150 of the building. 150 feet is, yeah. Yep. Okay. Now, again, that number can be a slightly adjusted because if there's four concrete walls in that 150 feet, I can maybe skirt by with 120. But, you know, basically it's a full evacuation of the building. Yeah. So we go there. Guys show up. They're like, oh, dude, there's people working upstairs. Like, there's a guy here. I can't do this x-ray. So the guy calls me back and he's like, hey, big screw up last night. I didn't get the building evac evacuated. I'm like, yeah. He's like, can you come in tonight? Buddy, there's no chance you're going to get that building evacuated tonight. You don't worry about that. Let me, let me worry about that. Okay. Send the guys back. It was $9,000 before we took one x-ray for this guy because he just couldn't get his head around what I meant by empty building. He just didn't get it, huh? Just didn't get it or didn't. I, I don't I don't really know. I don't know if it was a they you know maybe the building management said sure sure no problem and then we would show up and it it wasn't evacuated if he just thought we were bullshitting him in terms of how you know I guess maybe I I have no idea now I'm just speculating what the guy I was wanna, thinking. I want to ask a stupid question like when we build these buildings there's obviously drawings yeah structural architectural mechanical. Do we not have drawings knowing exactly where everything is at right now? Or is it when we build these buildings, maybe those mechanicals are not where they're supposed to be. And that's why we have to scan these buildings to find out what's potentially in there. Because it may not be true to what the drawings are saying. It's, it's it could be a combination of all of those things, right? Oh, okay. So at first, yeah, the drawings are the drawings, right? That's where everything's supposed to be. But every once in a while, there's a workaround that somebody puts in or... The most common one, I would say, for example, is a conduit and a concrete slab. So 
Guys, electricians will take, they don't put one conduit down at a time, right? They're throwing them down by the armful, dozens. So then those all sit. So I know there's a bank of conduits around here somewhere. Where? I don't know. Now I got to figure out exactly where yeah. because I'm trying to go in between them. Yeah. Um, the other one is too, is it's like, if the only thing that happened was that building was built, then maybe the drawings would be more reliable. But every time you put a new tenant in one of these downtown office buildings, they, they want their lights in a different place. They want their bathroom in a different place. They want drinking fountains in the in this place. And so all of a sudden those as-built drawings that you see- They're useless. They're useless because there's been 15 renos done on the building since then. It's not like the, the building is gonna update its drawings every single time. So more often than not, it's faster just to have somebody go out with a scanner or an x-ray, find what's in the slab where you need your bathroom to go or your hole to go. Um, and you find it that way. Nobody's ever documented the x-ray. You can't document it, eh? What do you mean? Like photograph it. You can't. You could probably like, like. Videotape it? You could probably videotape it. Like just leave your camera set up and yeah. walk away. But essentially you're filming an empty room, right? Yeah, yeah. It's nothing. You're not going to see anything on the camera. No. Because it's a piece of film on the floor. But you could actually shoot the film and you'll see the film develop. That's actually a cool idea. But yeah, if you were to set like your cell phone pointed at the film yeah. and then you started shooting up below, you would you see, would see it start to, well, I think there's some development in there. Again, the actual yeah, yeah, nitty yeah, gritty, yeah. I've never done x-ray, yeah, yeah. so I don't know, but curious. there is some development of the film as well. That's interesting. What else you guys get into that are? Oh, uh, you guys are surgeons of concrete. Yeah. That's what you guys are. Yep. It's like we need to make an incision right here. So then we don't touch these other vital parts of the building. Correct. That's what you guys do. Yep. And if you, um, what's that oper operation? A game. Yeah, If exactly. unfortunately, eh, <laughs> eh, like, you know. The eh is fire alarms usually. <laughs> you cut a conduit, you hear the fire alarm or the lights go out. You're like, oh shit, I lost that game. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> operation. <laughs> no, which is like, like, that's amazing. So there's a little bit of stress going on, but there's also a lot of um, reward because you, when you pull it off, like that train situation, when you pull it off and it's like a team effort and it works really well. Yeah. Everyone gets a pat. But that's the, we also get that reward every day on a lesser scale, right? So you think about some of these like plumbers or electricians or some of these guys going to the same condo building for the longest time. Very rarely, I would say, that most trades have the ability to be at the start of the job and at the end of the job. They're not. They're not because once the plumbing's all installed, you're leaving and the tile guy's coming in. Yeah. Right? Whereas with us, if you want a door opening or you want a thousand holes or whatever it might be, we're not on five-year engagements. We're, we're there for three months. Yeah. So you can actually cut that half an inch off of the top of the entire building and then look back at the end of it and go, I did that. It's done. And you can see your work and the effects of your work, pat yourself on the back and go do it again tomorrow. The, the, like I say, I don't know that a plumber or an electrician necessarily has that same sort of, you walk out of a building and that building is complete or that project is no, complete, doesn't right? exist. We, 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 so we, you know, we win every day when it comes to that sort of thing, right? In the sense that- You achieve your goals. Yes. And there's, you know, there was not a man door there before and now there is. So when I left, there was a one full wall like this. And when I left, there was three dock levelers put in it, right? So, you know, it's, it's from a motivation. And that was one of those things that kind of stuck with me from when I was back on the, the actual tools itself 
I would drive around and drive my wife like every one of us in the construction business does, right? Driving around with my wife like, I drilled a hole in every one of those townhouses, right? <laughs> I, I remember I cut an elevator opening in that building there. And you're like, yeah, 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 What yeah, about yeah. the scene? I don't want to talk about that one. <laughs> no chance would I do that. <laughs> I don't want to talk about that one. I'm still in therapy from yeah, that one. Yeah, exactly. Alone. Construction therapy. Exactly. No, you guys do some really cool things. And I'm, I'm only assuming that you're probably encouraging more people to get into this specific trade because there's a lack of them. There's a lack of everybody. Yeah. It's interesting because that's one of the things I'm going to be chatting about at the Canadian Concrete Expo. At the, the Do you know your booth number? We actually don't have a booth at the moment. Okay. It's just me going up and chatting for an hour. Oh, you're, you're, you're guest speaking. I'm speaking. Okay, all right. So I'm at the 1030 on the Friday session, the 16th. The 16th? 15th. 15th is last day. I was going to say 16th. Everybody's gone. I know what day I'm supposed to be there. I'm not the best with the numbers of it all. Okay. 1030 on the second day. All right. But that's one of the things that I'm going to be discussing at my uh, event there. And that's kind of how we connected. But yeah, you know, you've had a lot of people come on and they say, nobody wants to work construction. Nobody wants to be in my trade. Nobody wants to be. That's there's no people. It's not that nobody wants to be in this trade. It's not that people aren't picking concrete cutting and they're picking concrete finish. There's just not people. Like we've got a bit of a problem here in Canada, which is. And nobody's coming up with a solution. Everybody's getting old and there is no solution for it. And like, I, well, I don't know what it is. I think the second problem that we have is that the young are not staying long enough. Yeah. They're leaving. Yep. Absolutely. They're not even becoming the old guys. No, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Why do you think that is? I think that's a variety of reasons, to be honest with you. I think people saw, you know, guys my age look at their dad, can't get out of a chair, and they go, I don't know if I want that anymore. Beaten up. Right? Um, I think there's a lot of, I don't want to say stigma, but there's a lot of people don't tell you that path. Right? Like when I was a kid, the path was you went to school and you tried to be a doctor or something along those lines, right? And it was, I don't want to say like, you, 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 if you could, you went to university. And the only people who didn't go to university or post-secondary were the people who couldn't, whether it be because they didn't have the marks or the money. So they went to construction and at so the time. I think there's a mindset around that's like blue collar versus white collar work. Everybody thinks the white collar work is the most glamorous work out there, right? And so I think there's that. I think there's a big skill what's the word i'm looking for not skill gap but i think it's a training of the skill but it's there's no middle anymore no either you're a highly specialized computer program a lawyer doctor whatever and you make a lot of money or you're a tradesman but that idea of being the middle manager and and that doesn't really exist in itself anymore so i think a lot of people are trying to be the engineers or the like the the software people or work in the tech startups and when there's a lot of that tech stuff coming into construction and 100%. that's where you need these people. So there's a marriage going on there. Yep. So you should see like anybody is looking at it, there's opportunity. And I would go as far as like how you said earlier, Dan was mentioning that let the tool do the work. Yep. You guys have the toys, some of the coolest toys to achieve some really cool ideas. Yep. So let the tool do the work. And that's where I think in today's technology, sure, our older generation that my dad's generation they beaten up their bodies and that's how they just did things mm-hmm. right and i'm always telling the younger guys guys like you don't need to carry that shit on your own there's other people on this site get a second hand get a third hand or whatever right yep so use the tools and so then you won't have a beaten up body plus it's also the mindset of like 
the food you're eating, the exercise, the flexibility. You think that you're in construction, so it's an active. No, it's a different kind of exercise, right? Yep. You're still active. You're probably a lot better off than a guy who's sitting behind a desk for, you know, five days a week, nine hours a day, and years and years, decades, decades. Yep. Right? But the thing is, you, I think if you just marry all these things together, you'll have your body when you're older. You'll have a great career. You'll achieve a lot. But you also will learn a lot, too, working for companies like you guys, right? Absolutely. So there's opportunity here. A hundred percent. And I think... I think, I think construction as a whole, no matter what trade you're in, needs to be better at explaining that to people. They don't do a good job. You're right. We, we so that's the big kind of, that's like, if I was point one thing that was different between my, my life in a suit, my life in a hard hat, it's a lot of employers. When you go talk to law firms or tech startups or one of those places, they, they are very much almost on a daily basis selling why it's such a great job that their employees have. And we're not doing it. And we're not doing that. And we're such a good point, right? Like yeah. every day, Hey, think about how lucky you are. You're on Bay street. Look at this office. Such a good point. Right. And it, okay. And so the way that even internally that work gets viewed, right? It, it, I, so I think there's a lot of things going for it, but one of the big challenges, I think a lot of construction companies are going to have to change. They just have to. So, one of the examples I gave, or I'm going to give in the talk that I'm doing next month is if we look at all the different, like I'm a, I'm a old millennial or whatever the hell they're called, right? Elder. Elder millennial, right? So I remember being a kid and I, you know, I'd read on, I'd read everything that you could read, whether it was online, newspapers, whatever. Millennials were killing work. We were lazy. We didn't want to work hard and we were killing work. Okay, maybe, but maybe look at it a different way. Part of the reason that that really shifted wasn't necessarily that people my age in 2007 were that much softer than guys or people in 1997 or 1987. The big shift was what was happening in the world was an example of Google, right? So Google is starting to build itself out and Google is kind of the company that's known for changing the way work and environments were right they were the ones who got the fancy offices the pool tables the coffee makers the catered lunches all the kind of stuff people used to associate with like millennials being difficult right but the reason google did that was there was only you know 100,000 software engineers in the world at that time and to be google google needed 50,000 of them yeah so they needed to attract half of the available labor market to their office to come to our and they also needed to be able to say no to people Mm-hmm. Right. So they literally had to set up a situation where of 100,000 people in that industry, all 100,000 wanted to work for them so that they could say, no, you, you don't do good enough work. I'm going to hire this guy. So what did they do? That's why they started paying people crazy amounts of money. That's why software engineers make the money that they make. Right. That's where pool tables and workforces came from. That's where all these frills that the corporate world or the white collar world has that we all in the blue collar world look at and go pool table at work. What the? F-? This show is brought to you by Payne's window manufacturing window shopping revolutionized seeking top tier windows. Look no further. Payne's window manufacturing is the ultimate choice for custom builders, contractors, and homeowners. Visit www.paynes.com now to experience the pinnacle of quality and customization. Get your instant custom quote today. Elevate excellence with us, plus enjoy nationwide shipping across Canada and the U.S. But it's not, it's that's not a bad idea. That's the that's the uh, a result of the market conditions, right? 
We're in that same boat now when it comes to concrete construction or any sort of construction. There isn't that many people who want to work in construction anymore. And we, we either have to do better at enticing them to come work in construction, right? Which is, you know, there's strategies for that. But you also have to be like, it, it, the idea of like, we pay union rate and we offer steady hours. That's not. See, that's the go-to, Josh, is that a lot of people are thinking that we'll just pay more. You'll make more. Your hourly wage will be a lot higher coming to this industry because you're going to be in such demand. That's not the solution. That's not going to attract someone to come into this industry nope. on its own. Not on its own. Nope. And wages, that's going to happen anyways. It's not, it's not, the you know, it's not the companies that are like, we're going to pay you $3 more an hour. No, 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 no. You're going to pay $3 more an hour because every time somebody retires, the demand for my labor went up. So you're not even doing me that favor. Yeah. I'm doing me that favor yeah. just by sitting here, right? So that's where... You know, that's where being creative around how you're trying to attract employees becomes all the more important, right? So again, I gave a bunch of examples. Dan's buying lunch every day, right? It's He's good. got coffee every day for it's everybody. Good. Buys new equipment. So when guys say, hey, my wall saw sucks, he goes, okay, let's take a look at that. Let's see if we can't solve that problem for you. The other way that you're going to do that as well is you're going to create engagement or buy-in. Right? So a lot of the guys that work at high tech, they know Dan and they know Dan plans on being the biggest concrete cutting company in, in the business. So they also kind of look at that and go, yeah, maybe one of the other guys will give me a dollar more an hour. But I think the smart ones know better. I'm on a rocket ship here. Yeah. Right. And to be honest, you want the smart ones. Mm -hmm. So if some guy's going to leave for a dollar an hour, it's a vet. Take it easy. Yeah. No problem. See you when you're, see you in a couple of years when you come back and I'm the only game in town. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think that's a big shift. And, but I, again, it's the thing I'm going to talk about a lot is the demographic problem. The whole country is getting older, right? And, and the workforce is shrinking. So we, you, the idea that, you know, Dan is only competing with the other concrete cutting companies. He's not. He's competing with literally every other employer in Canada. And he needs to be... He, he needs to attract the workforce to come into this trade. Correct. And every... Every contractor, every small big Everybody. business needs to make their business more attractive for the workforce to go to them. Yep. So it's basically we need to start filtering and getting just the cream of the cream to get and come to our business. So you got to make your business better yep. to attract them. And hours make sense. Yeah, sure. Like, you know, getting lots of work is important. Yeah. But if I come to you and I do my whole song and dance, I just told you I'm a sales guy. And you give me an opportunity and I send a guy who doesn't really know what he's doing out to come and do that job. Well, I only get one opportunity to screw up, right? So the real way that you're going to, on a long-term basis, get ahead with your business is making sure that, yeah, you're getting the work. But more important is making sure that you do the absolute best possible job that you can do when you get that work. Because, like I say, you only get one chance to screw things up. Yeah. So... When you're debating between whether or not it makes sense to, I don't know, get an, a, a third piece of equipment or hire, I don't know, a safety manager to make sure that your guys are working in a safe and healthy way and they appreciate that a little bit more, I'd pick the safety manager. Whatever is going to make your guys happier is ultimately what you should be spending your money on, right? It's the idea of like, I, you know, there's business, like there's the dollars and cents of your business and then there's the nice to do's for your people. 
Well, you have to start looking at your people as the same line item as your insurance, your rent, your fixed cost, because that without them, you're in trouble. So true. Right? So very true. And the day of it being a seller's market or an employer's market, which is, hey, if you don't want to haul that concrete, there's 500 other guys that do. That's not the case anymore. That doesn't exist. Right? So you, being on track and making sure that those guys stay working for you is the most important thing going. And that's where if you want to grow your business, it's not necessarily making sure you get lots of jobs or keeping your costs low or any of those sorts of things. It's making sure that your workforce is going to stick around to be on the next job and the next job and the next job and the next job so that people can reliably count on you to do work for Build them. Build that and then, interest. Build that interest to keep them on the job to find out what's going to happen next. Yep. What new techs evolved. What new projects are going to be going on. And that looks different for a lot of people, right? Yeah. So some people just want steady hours. Cool. Some people want to know that they're not going to be on the tools for the rest of their life. You, like you said, they want to plan to get out. Yeah. Okay. Well, if you can create a situation where this guy can see a future for himself at your company, not necessarily maybe drilling holes for you, but he can see a career path outside of drilling those holes. Well, then he's more likely to stay. Right. Um, one of the big ones that I think construction as a whole needs to get better at is really we're only shopping in 50% of the market. Because if you look at construction, it's 95% men. Yeah. So what can we do? How can we structure our companies and our organizations to attract more ladies? I don't know. I have a few ideas, but... But Canada is not the only one, right? The U.S. is similar. I think U.S. is at 91%. Yep. And then even across the board, all over, globally speaking. Absolutely. Uh, maybe the U.K. is around the same number. I'm not exactly sure. Australia might be having... I think there might be more women in Australia, but that's just a guess. But I agree with you, right? So let's look at service-based industries, right? And the reason I say that is there is a lot of opportunities. Like, But I, I would imagine and I would bet that I could shift... By shifting a few of the ways that the construction industry does things, you could see a lot more ladies flow into the construction industry. Give me an example. So, there. I don't know the stat. I was reading it yesterday. I can, the exact stat I don't know. No, I'll no, have that's it from fine. My presentation. But remote work, so the idea of being able to work from home, mm-hmm. is like an 87% net positive for women over men because women primarily have the role of caregiver. Yeah. So mo- a lot of women, I'm trying not to speak in like generalities here, but the idea is that if you are allowing more flexible work, right? Instead of, hey, we all show up here at 6.30 every morning. This is what time we start. If you were al- to allow, say, flex working so that that lady could take her kids to work, go back to her house and do her accounts payable work for you from her home so she can still go pick up her kid afterwards. Yep. Well, now that's a job she can take. That if you were, no, no, we're 6.30 to 5 every day here. I agree. That's something she can't look at. There's a lot of admin stuff that could be done. Yeah. Yep. So here's another one. We do concrete scanning. Scanning is service work. You call us. You're like, hey, I need somebody here to scan this concrete. A lot of the time, I'm not there at 6.30. I'm not there for a day. I'm like, all right, I'll have somebody show up between 10 and 12. We'll scan that and we'll get out of there. So... That scanner, as a female, doesn't need to start at 6.30. No. She could start at 9. Yeah. So why don't we do that? Like, do you know what I'm saying? There's a No, I know what you're fight. saying. There's a lot of opportunity where All you the- don't need to have the physical person right there. 
right at that time. And if there's a way that you can structure your business that you can, and that actually increases efficiency because now you're not in tra- traffic. You're not having to go in and deal with a bunch yeah. of crap at a certain time. You can do it remotely. And I mean, with today's technology, why can't you call it in video conferencing and just be right there? And s- I'm there basically at yeah. that point. Right. So, but that's like, those are two little things. But that that's we what companies do. are probably doing. I'm sure Dan and you like high tech is doing some of that stuff. Looking into that. Dan stuff. is, I don't know how many companies are though. Yeah. That's the thing. Right. So that's more what I mean to say. If you look at how a big major you. corporation is yeah. structured, there's a lot more, again, it's a jargony term, but work life balance that matters more. I, you know, anecdotally speaking, that matters more to women than it does to men. Yeah. Right. Guys are five thirty. We want to be up. on that's, the site. That's yeah. where I am. Right. Yeah. Whereas that would be like if you told every lady in construction that she had to be there at six thirty. Well, then you're going to start seeing when they when people have kids, they're not going to stay in the trade anymore. When people, it's just a variety of ways. But that gentle shift in just how we do things could open up. It millions would, it of potential attract, people to work, it right? It would attract a lot more people. And then there's a million and five things. Like, for example, concrete cutting used to be, like, I used to laugh all the time. So I did concrete cutting. And then you'd see, like, a job posting for somewhere. And it's like, must be able to lift 40 pounds more than five times per day. And I'm like, that's funny that you put that on a work order. Because I literally have to move 60 pounds every minute of every day, <laughs> right? So I always thought those were kind of funny things to put on a work Job work. But the equipment doesn't weigh 60 pounds anymore. Yeah. A lot of it's streamlined down. So it's gotten better. Use the tools. Correct. So, yeah. you know, when I would look, you look around a room and you see one guy who's six foot four, 300 pounds, you go, that guy's a concrete cutter. Well, sure. But also, so is that five foot four lady who's 100 pounds, right? Like yeah. because of the equipment now. Yeah. You don't necessarily, a lot of those things, it's a lot of things are leveling off, right? From that perspective. So how can we get those people into the workforce? And then the other one, for example, is we have a lot of new Canadians, right? Do you have bilingual staff? Like if you hired one guy, like if you actually looked and said, I want a concrete cutter who speaks French or who speaks Indian, and you actually hired to make sure that you had one of those guys, well, how many more Indian people could you have that you might not have otherwise had if you had yeah. somebody who spoke Indian or yeah. French or German or literally any other language, right? So it's that's the sort of stuff that we can all do in this business that, like, I can't make more people here in Canada, right? I can't do any of that. But I can slowly tweak the way our business works. But let's start paying attention to other industries. Like you said earlier about the lawyers, they're making their industry attractive to get more people into it when... Nobody is really making the construction industry more attractive to get more people into it. Well, I mean, you can see at the top end, the big guys are trying. Yeah, of course. If you go look at the Acon or the Ellis Dawn, you look at the language that they're talking about on their hiring website. But how, how many small mom and pop construction businesses are there across exactly. Canada? Billions. Lots. Sure, it's not billions, but yeah. But the thing is, if every one of them was doing that, it's the exact same thing that the bigger players were doing that, you start attracting more people. Yeah. And what you're going to start finding is, like, again, I'm an insurance guy. Demographics are the way they work, right? Those companies will not be able to hire people. That's just the way it's going to go. Or they will not be able to hire people that anybody else would hire. And so those companies will not be successful in the future. It just, they can't be, right? Because, like... You need the workforce. If I have you offering me the same amount of money, but this guy's going to give me a truck, a promotion of this, a that, a training course to make sure I'm, I'm certified. I'm, I'm Why gone. would I ever listen to I'm you? Gone. I know. Right? 
And so that's what you're going to start seeing everywhere, I think. Josh, this has been a blast, man. <laughs> I got to have you back. This is amazing, honestly. Again, when are you speaking? At, uh, you're on the 15th at 1030. Yes, sir. Okay. It's called and the ultimate ROI, investing in your employee engagement, employee experience. You're doing it off the cuff or you're doing it off a teleprompter? Are you like, what, show tunes? No, nothing at all? Co combination of both. So I'll have some PowerPoint <laughs> slides, but uh, usually, as you can tell from the last hour, you pull my string and I can talk quite a while. So, <laughs> Josh is here from High Tech Concrete Cutting, hightechcutting.ca and 647-335-6511. Josh at hightechcutting.ca and on IG at High Tech Concrete Cutting and on Facebook under High Hyphenated Tech Concrete Cutting and on LinkedIn, High Hyphenated Tech Concrete Cutting. You ready for the 12 questions? Shoot. What's your favorite construction word? As a sales guy, it's extra. <laughs> What's your least favorite tool? So this harkens back to when I actually had tools in my hand. My hands are pretty soft these days, but it's a chipping gun. Chipping and, gun. And to be fair, I hate pricing chipping work out as well. So even as a guy who doesn't use it, it's still my no, least I favorite tool. I can't stand what, uh, what, construction, what construction sound do you love? Saw spinning. That means we're making money. Yeah, but it's very harsh. Yeah, but you got your plugs in. So you just you hear the whir, but it's not necessarily the same burn. What's your favorite beverage? I have a very, very long-standing addiction to Coca-Cola. I've tried really, shaking yeah? it a million times, but I cannot eat a meal without, without having a, a Coca-Cola. Not Pepsi? No. Coca-Cola. New Coke? Regular old Coke. I don't even like Coke Zero. It tastes like a little like dirt or something. I'm not sure. <laughs> what turns you on and off in construction? Um, so doing weird stuff like this, to be honest, is always very interesting. Um, this is weird stuff? Well, I mean, <laughs> it's not sitting in my office pricing out 3,000 square feet of cutting. So it's a little <laughs> bit different. So I like variety. So anytime I'm doing something construction related, but not necessarily... Construction My day-to-day -day job, yeah, it's, yeah, I yeah, always yeah. find it fun. What do you turn, turns you off? It's hard to say. I think one of the things that you can encounter in any walk of life, especially, well, not especially, but in construction as well, is people who are assholes. It's always hard dealing with assholes, no matter what industry you're in. So anytime I find myself in a situation like that, I'm like, I have to be as nice as I can and get the hell out of this situation as fast as, as possible. As I as get well. older, I, I always ask myself, why don't you just ask them, why are you an asshole? But then that's just going to open up a whole can of worms and I don't want to answer it. Yeah. With it so I just walk away. <laughs> What's your favorite curse word? Uh, I'm a big fan of the F word. Awesome. <laughs> What's your favorite vehicle in the entire world? Uh, if and I had my pick, I'd be like a late 80s Cadillac. Are we talking about the Slant Seville or are we talking about the coupe? No, no. Like the old timey boat Eldorado from like 1989. The big timers that you're like, you're sitting on a couch, the foam, foam seats. I don't know why. The but sofas. I've always, the yeah, sofas. yeah, the sofa seats. That's right. <laughs> uh, what do you miss from your childhood? Sports, I guess. Be, well, I guess being able to play sports and not pay the price for three days afterwards. I was a big sports guy growing up, lacrosse, football, baseball, hockey. Kept me busy, kept me active, and I met some of the best friends that I still have to this day from playing sports. I, so. I do want to do a little shout-out about how stupid this city has become. Toronto has banned tobogganing now <laughs> on 45 hills in the city. Complete moron that are running this city. 
they're all puppets i can't stand that's just my opinion I'm, I'm just sharing it because i think it's the dumbest thing what is more canadian than ever than tobogganing in winter road hockey which got banned five years ago so fucking stupid <laughs> absolutely stupid i'm sorry just yeah. stupid uh they're creating wally that's what they're creating right yeah. it's just like nobody do anything active uh well, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt one day it seems like you're like the rock star of salesmen man. <laughs> <laughs> i don't know about that um i've always I, I i don't think i have the disposition for it personally but i always was curious what it would be like to be a doctor working in a hospital mm. I don't imagine it's something I'd want to do for very long, but yeah. it would be something I'd be like a ride along with an ER doctor for a night would be good, I think. Do you concur? Okay, all right. <laughs> what profession would you not like to do? Uh, I don't think I could be a teacher. I said that before earlier. I don't think I'd want to be a teacher. I wouldn't want to deal with kids. I wouldn't want to deal with the hassle. I wouldn't. There's a lot of reasons I wouldn't want to be a teacher. Last question. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at those pearly gates? You barely made the cut. <laughs> Josh, thanks so much for being, uh, making Thank the time you. and coming on the show and enlightening us. And this is a whole new world that I have a lot of respect for. And you guys are doing great work. Awesome. awesome. Thank you so very much team. for having Say us. Say hi to Dan great. for us. And I will. I guess we'll see you at the CCE. Yes, sir. Happening real soon. So next Absolutely. February. Uh, we'll be there for February 13th, 14th, and 15th. You'll be speaking on the 15th at 1030. Yes, sir. ROI. That's right. Thanks, Josh. Thank Brad you. Here, Angelina.